So, so there's probably not a lot about your life, you know, in terms of the day-to-day that resembles 2,700 years ago, <laughs> in, you know, in terms of some of the expressions of how you get to work or do work, or the kind of work that's done. But, but something I think that we can draw a lot of similarity to and something that uh, we can identify ourselves in is we know what it's like to, um, to live in a space and time where it feels like either around us or in our own hearts, the, the, the ways of God are, are maybe being uh, pushed to the side in the name of complacency or apathy or, or just our own desire to do things our way, right? And, and you can see that in other people. You can probably even see it in yourself. And at a time like that, when you're confronted with that, if you're anything like me and you have the tendency to be a little bit jumpy and defensive, and you don't like to let people down, is, is you can kind of immediately go, well, well, if God would just make something plain, if God would just tell me what God wants and would stop being so daggone evasive um, and, and, or complex, you know, maybe I would do it. Maybe I would live into uh, the ways of God. And, and so insert Micah 6.8 here. Um, this, 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 this response God brings to a group of people who are drifting towards complacency, apathy, uh, towards the, the things that are happening around them, and maybe even towards the things that are happening in them. I'll, I'll restate it one more time. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What we've decided to do these past three weeks is that rather than just take one day to reflect on that and go, man, that's a really cool verse. I should get that tattooed on my body or I should, should get that put on my coffee cup is, is, to, um, is to really take those themes of justice and mercy and humility and, and, and really, uh, you know, really slow down a little bit and, and deal with those things and think about how they may work a little bit better together. Um, so, so if you've missed a particular week in this series or you're just passing through uh, visiting with us this weekend, welcome, by the way. Um, just that's where things are kind of fitting in. All right, so we're going to talk about this idea of walking humbly with your God as we conclude our reflections on Micah 6, 8. So this summer, Baltimore uh, lost a legend. Brooks Robinson passed away at the age of 86. Brooks Robinson, if you're unfamiliar, um, because if you're from Baltimore, you know people named Brooks, and you're like, man, people are really into that name. Why are they into that name around here? Uh, because he was kind of one of the guys, the most famous of the Baltimore Orioles. 16 consecutive gold gloves, which is the award given for you know, kind of the, being the best at your position. Uh, MVP of the 1970 World Series, kind of single-handedly seemed to win it, you know, in a, in, in, in a weird, strange way. Lots of key critical moments where Brooks Robinson came through. Um, um, just and then and just so just kind of a legend on the field. So passed away this summer at the age of 86. Um, and I was inclined at the time this summer to be listening to a lot of sports talk radio. Um, my rule is when my teams win, I want to hear all of it. When my teams lose, I want to hear none of it. I don't want to hear you, you know, Dan from Glen Burnie come and talk about how the Ravens are terrible and, and Bob from Parkville talk about, the, you know, the secondary or whatever because I'm pretty critical myself, right? So, like, it was just a good, it's a good time in, you know, Baltimore sports summer, you know, with the Orioles doing well. And then with Brooks Robinson passing away, I was just inclined to, like, want to hear the reflections and the memories because I'd heard lots of stories from my own family. 
and, and, and like by a, by a count of maybe three to one, I mean, there were some reflections on the field, and there were some, like, recounting of where you were in 1970 when the World Series was, and, and, and you know, there were some reflections like that, and there were some parallels to, like, do you think Gunnar Henderson is the next Brooks Robin? You know, you know, stuff like that. But, like, by a three-to-one count, the, the stories were all about how amazing this dude on the field was off the field. That if you were from Baltimore, you had some kind of Brooks Robinson story. You had some kind of like encounter at a car wash when a dude who's won 16 consecutive gold gloves like took time to shake a hand and take a picture with your family. Some kind of recounting about how this dude signed autographs so frequently that he basically made his own autograph like not very valuable. That, 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 that this dude, like, like, followed through on even things he didn't have to follow through on, telling this one story about a USO tour that he did and, and meeting someone from Glen Burnie in an army hospital and then taking the time to, at that army hospital, to say, like, hey, when you get home, here's my phone number, call me, look me up, we'll, we'll get together. And he did it. Like when the guy, which by the way, imagine the boldness to be like, Brooks Robinson gave me your, my, my, Brooks Robinson gave me this phone number. I'm going to call it, right? But to like call it and not just like be forgotten or like, oh, no, we didn't mean that. Like, but like follow through and not just a one-off, like Brooks Robinson for years and years and years, like supported this guy's charity work and helped this guy reacclimate to life following his time in war. Right? Like there's, there were just stories upon stories upon stories about how this person off the field was even better than the person on the field. And I, and I don't know that you are, you know, aspiring to be a major league athlete or a professional baseball star, but, but my, my thought is that you probably have some area of your life where you'd like to be the best, you'd like to be amazing, you'd like to be great. And, and, and the hard... I mean, my, and I think I know you well enough, even if we've only, you know, ex- exchanged glances or shook hands or something like that, to say you probably, would, in, in all of the excellence on, on the job or in the field that you want to study, would like to also not be an insufferable person. That you'd like the people closest to you to be like, yeah, he's really great, she's really great, they're really great, but to know them privately, they're pretty awful. <laughs> And, 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 because here's the thing, right? We have those stories. We have those receipts of people that are really great on the job, in the field, at the thing, that we're like, don't ask me enough coffee with them. Don't want to share Thanksgiving dinner with them. <laughs> and, and the tension for us, maybe, to, to consider is how do we get there? I mean, how do we not just get to the place where we would become insufferable, but maybe not be that guy, not be that, that person? Right? And that's, that's the idea of walking humbly that we want to consider today. Um, you know, here's the, here's the reality for us, is that we all are pretty acquainted with expressions of humility that are not humble. We, we've probably been party to um, the person who gives the extravagant gift or gives the check, and there's like a weird string attached to it. Like, okay, huh. We've been party to the act of charity that conveniently has a camera crew like accompanying it and it really just in the end feels a bit more like a photo op. Um, We've probably heard someone describe themselves as humble, which is a weird thing, right? Like, 
It's like, it's like in a job interview when someone's like, oh, tell me your weaknesses. Well, I volunteer too much and I love too hard. Like, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to describe ourselves as. And then we probably even know, and maybe this is, this is us, um, we're so, someone that's so self-deprecating. Someone who's just so down on themselves that it's really not humility. It's really kind of a self-hatred or a pride. But we will call it humility because they don't love themselves. Yeah, it's weird. They don't say positive things. I mean, what do we make of this word humility? And the idea of walking humbly with our God. Um, what we've done in this series is we've taken a look at, uh, with each of the words in justice and, and, and mercy, to take a look at the context that you'll find in other places in the Old Testament where those words emerged. And, and that will help us get a sense of the word, right? Because if I say in English, I love something, uh, I, I, I use that phrase to describe the ravens, tacos, and my wife. Like, I love the ravens, I love tacos, I love my wife, but I don't mean the same thing each time I use that word. So, so this idea of walking humbly, let's pay, let's pay attention to, to how it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament. One other time, actually, Proverbs 11, chapter 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. I know it doesn't say walk humbly there. It says with humility, but it's the same Hebrew word here to describe the idea of measured and careful conduct. So when we're thinking about humility, when we're thinking about the idea of walking humbly, we're not just talking about being self-deprecating. We're not just talking about when someone gives us a compliment, we go, oh, glory to God. <laughs> you know, or, or having to evade any nice thing that gets said to us. We're really talking about a measured and careful conduct, or a, a, a reflection, the ability to pay attention to, to our successes, to our failures, and how we are carrying those things. It's been said by C.S. Lewis, I believe, that like, what if humility is not thinking less about ourselves, but thinking about ourselves less? And I like that definition, but I think walk humbly here actually considers something even greater than that. Um, to think about ourselves in terms of this, right? If, if the world around us, uh, particularly in 2023, is just always got a gravitational pull to like self-indulgence and whatever we want and girl, you do you and, and whatever, if it feels good, do it. If, if everything's kind of marketed towards just you live your best life, how do we um, keep ourselves grounded in a world that's just always pushing us towards indulging the self and obsessing over the self? Like that's, that's the essence, I think, of what it means to walk humbly, right? And then and as it relates to justice and mercy, having a, a sober view of, of the ways in which our own desire for justice or our own picture of justice can get spoiled by our own nature. Our own picture of mercy can be skewed by, by our own story. And, and, and the beautiful invitation that uh, the God of the universe wants to walk with us through this life. Right? Let's go back to Micah 6, 8 for a moment like, and really make this pop. Right? Like the idea of walking humbly with your God. Let's go back to the beginning, Micah 6, 8, where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
Right? Like we're already, we're getting, we're getting something here, right? That the divine, the limitless one, the, the, the one who is without sin or error cannot be contained is willing to be in relationship with you, O mortal, who will constantly be reminded of your frailty in this life. You know, we will try to evade that. We'll try to spend our way out of it. We'll try to uh, run from it. But we will have constant confrontation with how fragile and frail our life is. And he's shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To love justly, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. To have a careful measure of ourselves in relationship to who? Your God. Now, this is, this is the thing that if, you have, if, you've, if you've attended church for years and years and years, you, you may get sick and tired of hearing, but if you are hearing this for the first time, it's maybe the most provocative thing the Bible offers. That the God of the universe, the one who made it all, desires to slow down and be in relationship with you. That, that, that Christianity that the Christian worldview is not just a series of behaviors to adhere to to make the world like just and good and, or at least make yourself look just and good and amongst those who are not just and good. But that the motivation to, to respond with any kind of behavior that resembles Christian behavior finds its roots in the idea that the God of the universe desires a relationship with you. The God of the universe, the God that knows everything about you, cares about you, loves you, takes sacrificial steps to walk in community with you. This is, this is mind-blowing news and almost too good to be true. If, it's, if you're hearing it for the first time, you're like, wait, what, what? But I think for a lot of us, the essence of this conversation about walking humbly is like, yeah, but give us a different hack here. Like, give us, give us a couple steps. Give us a little, give me the, the shortcut to, to real humility. But, but, I, but, but there's something that we cannot walk away from. And it's that idea that like this whole conversation about humility is that the divine has come into the space of those who are limited and fragile and small and desires to walk with us in relationship. Right? When we're talking about walking humbly with our God, let's not miss the beauty of that invitation. Because what we so often will do is something that looks very different. Perhaps you tried to get here by 11 o'clock this morning. <laughs> but... But, uh, and you were driven, you had an agenda, you had a plan, but you also had other people that depended on you in some way, right? There was a dog that needed to be walked. There was a toddler who needed to have their shoes put on. There were people that had big feelings that weren't you. Like you had an agenda and, and like getting everybody here by a particular time, whew, you had to make a choice. At some point, you had to make a choice. Like, normally, you're like, oh, yeah, you put on your own shoes, and it's so good. And then at some point, you're watching them put on their shoes, and you're like, okay, well, just let me do it, right? Or normally, you're, like, walking the dog, and you're like, okay, like, my dog likes to interact with every other dog in South Baltimore. But today, we're not going to go where all the sticks and the other dogs are. We're going to go on the path that just creates the quickest pee and poop the world has known. Because we've got a place to be, we've got a place to go. You, you know quite well 
that when, when you have an agenda for how the world should work and how things should go and what you want to do and when you want to do it, that other people and their, their dependence on you can get in the way of that. And, and here's what I think a lot of us will do, right? This, we have this beautiful invitation to walk humbly with our God, and we're quite content to do that if it means that God is kind of on the leash of our agenda, Right? If, if my picture of success matches, if God's picture of success matches mine, I'm quite good with that. I really like the, the justice part of Micah 6-8. So yeah, God, you can come along for the ride. And as we go to work, and as we go to school, and as we do all the stuff, whatever, you know. Uh, and, if, and if God ever, like, doesn't put on the shoes as quickly as you want, or is, you know, whatever, like, then you're sort of like, okay, well, I have to discard this. You can't come along with me on this particular pathway, God, because I, this is my picture of success. <laughs> the, the essence of calling Jesus Lord, the essence of even acknowledging our place before God, is really to say in this exchange that we are very much like the toddler, we are very much like the dog, and that the shiny objects and the sticks and the distractions are always clouding and creating a whirlwind in our mind from the vision of the one who actually knows what's best for us. Right? We're, we're inclined to sort of tell God, well, you can come along for the ride if you want to. I, I, like your, I like this idea of justice and mercy. But the essence of walking humbly with our God is, is really a spirit of submission. It's a spirit that says, Lord, search me, know me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. And, and help me to see the areas of my life, the areas of my story that aren't aligned to your picture of those things. To walk humbly with our God is not to be, you know, cute and self-deprecating in the midst of like, yeah, but God, you're in my story. You come along for my best life. But to say, hey, how does my picture of flourishing for my family, for my own life, need to change in light of who God is, what God has done for me. The, the, there's a book, um, Kosuke Koyama is a Japanese theologian who wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God, saying that the, the God of the universe walks at the pace that the average person walks around in the city, right? I, for the city people, I'll say 3.7 mile an hour God, because you're pretty driven, and you like to go places, and you like to get things done efficiently. To, to, to walk beside anybody, right, is to surrender our will on some level, right? To, 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 to match the pace of the person we're walking with. To sort of see, like, well, how are they stepping and where are they going? And I want to go that way. I, I, and, and again, like, I don't mean to belabor this, but come on, we take this for granted. <laughs> we do, I do that the God of the universe wants to walk with us? So in light of that, walk humbly. Right? Because if the person that was most successful in your field showed up at your door and were like, let's go for a walk. My guess is you'd be like, well, tell me about this and tell me about this. And you want to go that way? Cool. You want to go to that coffee shop? Yeah, we'll go to that coffee shop. Who's buying? You know, like... But we're so often instead, right, kind of, kind of drag God along like we might drag the dog or drag the, you know, the scoop up the toddler and go, well, okay, well, if you're, if you're going to fall in line with me, then cool. And it just, 
to walk humbly with our God is to, to, to put those things back in their working place, back in their right order. To move from self-preservation to self-care and soul care. Uh, self-preservation, you know well. <laughs> to a room full of achievers, right? To a room full of people who are trying to be the best at what they do and get things done. We're like, man, how, does, how do you live to, to kind of survive another day? How do you present the best posture for yourself? You know, how do you... Um, and, and look, I'm, I'm, I, I love that our culture is getting better at talking about self-care. It is. Um, it's still kind of all in the guise of consumerism and capitalism, right? Like, the pathway to self-care is to buy this facial cream. <laughs> we really want something for you. It's this facial cream. Uh, the, hey, the pathway to, you know, this thing is to buy a vacation. Um, we, we live in a time, particularly with the amount of cameras in our faces, where it sort of is like, hey, you know, like, try to, try to keep appearances looking right. I think to walk humbly with our God is to acknowledge how clunky it is to try and walk along someone whose will you're, you're, you're trying to figure out. Which direction are they going? What, what's next for, what's, what's the next path? Whoa, they sped up. Why did they speed up, right? It requires a little bit of just acknowledgement of like, man, to submit to that moves me to a place where I'm going to say, okay, well, I don't know where I'm going, but I need you to lead. Self-preservation uh, is, is sort of a working motif for us, though, right? How do, we, how do we keep up the best version of ourselves in this space, in this space, in this space, in this space? 2008, our world's changed, or at least our language did, with the invention of the selfie, right? There, there's a time, and if you, if you don't remember it, there was a time where you wanted to take a picture, and you would look at a person down the street, and you would say, hey, you seem to be not threatening, and like a person that's going to run away with my camera— we're going to pose here in front of the science center. Can you grab our picture? You know? And now, we just have to do this. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, now we just have to do this. Now, okay, so I don't know if you know this, but for, since 2008, since 2008, it's 2023, um, it's 2000, since 2008, when the selfie became kind of part of our lexicon and our cameras could kind of turn back like that, um, 379 people have died trying to take a selfie. Uh, and I don't want to make too much light of it, because it's really tragic, actually, that like someone puts themselves in a position where they're trying to take the perfect picture as opposed to uh, reaching out to the random person that's like, hey, I'd like to commemorate myself in front of the Grand Canyon. Can you take this photo of me? There's something, there's something about... That, that could be deadly when you're trying to carry all of it, but at the very least can be exhausting, right? Like, like by the way, uh, just anecdotally, far less people during that time killed by sharks. So, selfies are scarier than sharks. There's your moral, right? Like, like there is a, what, what, I would, what I would say, you know, in a, in a, in a less jokey kind of way is, is that there is, there is something that can be quite exhausting, actually, about the preservation of perfect angles and saving face. And I don't mean to sound like an old man saying, get off my lawn, don't take selfies. That's not that's actually what I'm saying. I'm just using it as a metaphor for a life that's just lived trying to curate, like, 
okay, what does this person need to see of me? And what does this person need to see of me? And what does this person need to see of me? And what does this person need to see of me? Um, maybe begins in a good place, but is actually quite exhausting after a while. It, it's exhausting, you know, to, to live in a place where we're always curating the angles. The invitation of walking humbly with our God is to say that God... If God knows the truth about you and who you are and who you are beyond the curated angles, how do we, how do we let the love of God enter that space with us and do that hard work? Having some people, a community, some curated habits that help us to... To, to confront the real things happening below the surface. To not just look at the exterior expressions and does the, does, the, does the PR look good in my life, but like what little thing in my life, if I don't check it, will become a really big and bad thing? What, what, what little habits or trends do, do the people around me, maybe they notice I'm being a little bit passive-aggressive. Maybe they, like, what are the, we'll use another pet metaphor. You know, when you, when, when you have an animal or you, an animal that you love, or, you know, and you notice that, like, a spot's sensitive. What, what does, you know, I mean, something's wrong with the paw. Something's wrong behind the ear. And there's this, like, retraction and almost like the clenching of the, you know, like, don't, don't, that hurts. And it takes, you know, a, a special kind of caretaker with a special kind of personality to, to know how to treat or engage a thing, a created thing that's in that position. But there's some stuff in your life that create that kind of response, right? That it elicits that heart, like when the world finds out, if the world finds out, <sighs> how painful that particular area is, how much that thing hurts, how that thing has wounded you, how that thing's got, like, we need to find spaces where the great physician, the, the good healer, the God in this metaphor, can care for our head and our hearts well. What we will often do is reduce things like church and reading the Bible, and prayer, and to sort of these like, yeah, 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 right? I know, I know, I know. Pray and read the Bible, pray and read the Bible. Like, but what, what those things are really invitations to do, them and an assortment of other things in terms of Christian community and, 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 and good counsel, and, and, and finding some, some ways to like get out and serve others. What, what those things are, all are, are moments to move past the self-preservation of just trying to keep up and keep appearances to, to letting the love of God hit and deal with our insecurities and our triggers and our hidden places and the narratives that we've absorbed. And so to walk humbly with our God is to say, man, when... When God provides some spaces to meet with us, like really entering those spaces, not from a position of, of like posturing, but from a position of, okay, I'm in the presence of someone for whom there's no need to be, 
There's no pretense. Like, I can bring my full self here, and, and the love of God can meet me and walk with me in those, those areas where I'm angry, in those areas where it hurts, in those areas where it feels like if I just let the, the dam of grief break, it's going to come all the way undone. And no, I can't do that into a microphone at my, in, my, in, my, in my meeting tomorrow. No, I can't do that at my 3 p.m. Zoom call. But I can do that in God's presence. And to walk humbly with our God is to curate a relational rhythm that creates space for that. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. We'll, we'll begin to, to end here. Um, but he says, but he gives us more grace. That's why the scriptures say, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And what I love about that verse, I mean, it, it flows good when you're like thinking about the person over there that's too proud and the person over there that needs to shut up for a minute and the person over there that needs to get themselves together. But what I love here in this is like, man, there's just no pretense here. It's not, like, I, I, I am amongst those sinners. I am amongst those people that, that, that like, I can come before God. I can come before God and, and, and find relationship healing, purification, the ability to grieve, the ability to mourn, the ability to wail. You don't have a lot of spaces where it's okay to do that. But that's the invitation of the scriptures. Those sensitive, hard, hurting places where you're tempted to harden and toughen and just say, nobody goes there. To know that those are places where the love of God wants to excavate something. And show you the way of love. When I want to end here, you know, did it move from like self-serving to self-giving? <laughs> to, to move here from self-serving to self-giving. Dr. Brene Brown would say like the big shift in, in walking humbly with God there is, is to move from wanting to be right to wanting to get it right. Right? To walk humbly with our God is to be less concerned in every situation and with every group of people about wanting to be right. And to go, hey, when I walk into these rooms and I walk into these spaces, how do, how do I get it right? How do I, and this is where justice and mercy kind of fit into this conversation. How can I, how can my presence and how can what God is doing in me move the needle towards a more just world? Move the needle towards a world that, that loves mercy. Move the needle towards showing others that, that God desires relationship. It's really tough, though, when you just look at other people as objects to be consumed. Arguments to win. <laughs> people to whatever. Get to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it. And to say, hey, rather, how do I enter spaces with the desire to reflect the things that are happening in my own private moments? Right? Not that, not that the world needs to know every facet of my dirty laundry, but when I understand the grace that I've been shown by Jesus... It certainly helps me move into spaces and deal with some of the nonsense that exists around me, that exists in my workplace, that exists in my own heart. Let's, let's move to this and we'll close. I, I think, the, I think the, the essence of this conversation is, is, is really truly wrapped up in communion. You know, sometimes it feels like we're having conversations where we're like, okay, what's the hard turn to receiving communion, <laughs> right? 
But, but here's, here's really what we celebrate in communion. Here's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper and participate in. Is, is, that, is that God, that the divine, has gone to tremendous self, self-sacrificial lengths to, to create a place that is safe for your heart. To create a place that's safe for you to acknowledge and admit the whole story but to experience and receive tremendous grace, mercy, and justice. And, and, to, and so to celebrate in communion, as Jesus did, you know, the, the, the broken body, presence, sacrificial, unconditional love, the cross of Christ, religion, empire, throwing everything they can to try and stamp out the way of Jesus and none of it being successful. An empty cross, an empty tomb. That's what we celebrate and we aim to receive. That Jesus has gone to great lengths for for you to be able to receive grace and mercy. But, but to come back to a place where we need to acknowledge that it's a gift to be received. And this morning, the reason why we do this weekly as a community, this is what we'll move to now after I pray, is that it, it gets really, really easy in a room of ours with achievers and doers and people that like to get stuff done and to come back to the idea that like, just one week, I'd like to come into this room and be the self-made man, right? Just one week, I'd like to come into this room and be like, you jokers, you need it. Not me. I was awesome this week. What we celebrate in communion is that keeping up with the last best thing we did is not a thing, is not a, is not a way God keeps score. And... And that there's nothing too, too big and too ugly and too, uh, for the love of God, not to still meet us in, in this tender place. So may we come today as a community, as we partake of bread and cup, may it actually reflect the posture of our heart to receive that invitation to walk humbly. And if, and if you're doing that for the first time today, we'd love to walk with you and talk with you about what the next steps of that are. But for those of us who have been followers of Jesus for some time, let's not gloss over the beauty of what's being offered to us today, what's being extended to us today. May we really receive together. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move to this time. Lord, you are good to us. We don't have many spaces even the most transparent and vulnerable amongst us don't have many spaces where it feels like everything can be laid bare you've told us that you know the real story that you know the real deal And that you still go to great lengths to reconcile and redeem and draw us near. God, in a world constantly pulling us towards self-preservation and self-indulgence, 
Help us to receive the invitation to walk humbly with you. This time of communion, God, just may it be a reset in that journey or a catalyst in that journey. Thank you for meeting us where we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.